welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, this morning, I'm going to start a new series called Upside Down. Upside Down. Okay? And Upside Down, essentially, is a series about kingdom culture. Everyone say kingdom culture. Kingdom culture. What you need to understand about all kingdoms, no matter what kingdoms they are, they are all manifest through their culture. For example, we live in Australia, yeah? Can we settle on that? You might not believe in God this morning. You may not believe in the resurrection, but can we agree on this? We live in Australia. We got that. Cool, we're on the same page. Excellent. We live in Australia and we, for the most part, speak English. English is the national language of Australia. And we drive on a certain side of the road. It's the left-hand side. Not the right-hand side, but the left-hand side. We live in Australia. We speak English. We drive on the left-hand side of the road. We have roundabouts. And traffic lights. And we drink tea in this nation. And all these things I've described to you are very typically English. Why? Because Australia was established on British thinking, on British culture. The British Kingdom or the United Kingdom went to other parts of the earth to put their stamp of approval on places like little old Australia. And so, so much of the infrastructure is based upon English culture. How are kingdoms established? By and through its culture. Does that make sense? You've got to catch this this morning. All kingdoms are established through their culture. In other words, none of us are born with a culture. We are born into a culture. Take me, for example. My parents are both English. My mum's English. My dad's English. And so we speak English. Um, I have drunk cups of tea since the age of 18 months. It's very English. I mean, for me, it is never too hot to have a cup of tea. It can be 45 degrees. I can be working outside. And the first thing I want is a cup of tea. It may seem weird to you, but it's not weird to any Englishman out there or English woman out there. It's just part of our culture. So I've drunk tea since the age of 18 months. We had a favourite part of the meal called Yorkshire pudding, which was always put together with roast beef, potatoes and gravy. Sorry to make some of you stumble this morning as you have to sit there listening to me now thinking about these incredibly delicious meals. And one of my favourite all-time movies was anything Monty Python. Or anything English, for that matter, on the buses. 
with Reg Varney. I'll get you, butler. Nah. Loved it. Carry on series. Okay. The carry on series. Yeah. Remember that? Benny Hill. Yeah. I remember the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Frank Spencer. Some mothers do have them. All that. We, we grew up on that. Not because it's right, not because it's wrong, but because it's part of our culture. I wasn't born with an English culture. I was born into an English culture and embraced the culture that I was born into. In other words, I just, you know, if I was put on an island somewhere and didn't have the English influence, maybe I wouldn't like tea as much as I do or Yorkshire pudding. Maybe if I was born into an Indian family, I wouldn't like Yorkshire pudding. I would like curry and papa dums. <laughs> not because that's right, not because that's wrong, but because of the culture that I was born into. When you go to Durban in South Africa, they love their curries. Why? Because it has an incredible Indian influence. They love their curries and the hotter the better. And so whenever Kath and I go there, we just kind of like, please, please, please make it very, very mild. Because we don't have an Indian culture. We're British. Meat and three veg, that's it. Very plain, very basic. Keep it simple. Must be something to do with the water. I don't know, but just keep it simple. Culture. Culture. We all come to think like the environment that we are born into. That's what I'm trying to say. We are shaped and influenced by the language, values, laws, morals of our parents, community and society. In other words, all of us are brainwashed by something or someone. All of us. This notion that Christians are brainwashed is true, but it's only partly true. All of us are brainwashed. All of us have been influenced by something or someone. You like what you like because of influence. And you hate what you hate because of influence. Our prejudices, our pride, all stems back to our influences. We grew up in a non-racialistic home. And so I went to, when we went to Adelaide High School, which was very ethnic, I was shocked. I didn't know I wasn't meant to like certain people because of their accent or the color of their skin. I, I, I didn't get it. I actually did not get it. My three best friends in year eight was Fu Li, who was from China. He was from Vietnam, apparently. I didn't know that you and Fu were so close. <laughs> Fu Lee was from Vietnam. I'm sorry, but you all look the same to me. Sorry, mate. <laughs> wow! Fu Lee from Vietnam. Tony Quagliata from Italy and Jim Papadopoulos from Greece. Three best friends in year eight. And me, the Anglo-Saxon white boy in the whole mix. And we didn't know you weren't meant to like each other. Our likes, our prejudices come 
from the influences around us. You ask yourself, why do you hate certain things or certain people? More often than not, it's based upon the influences. It never ceases to amaze me when you hang around some young kids. Eight years of age, six years of age, and they talk about politicians, oh, that Tony Abbott. What would they know about politics? Where did that come from? Oh, he's an idiot, that guy. Really? Really? What would you know about leading a country? Really? I'll tell you what's happened. He's been sitting at a dinner table with his dad, whinging about our politicians. He didn't come up with that by himself. She didn't come up with that by herself. It's influence. It's culture. All kingdoms are established and manifest through its culture. All prejudice and pride is established through its culture. Have I established this point this morning? We are shaped and influenced by the language, values, laws, morals of our parents, community and society. That being true, when we are born again, we become citizens of a new kingdom called God's kingdom. Wow. We are born, when we are born, we are born into a culture. When we are born again, we are born again into another culture. This will explain why sometimes as a Christian, you find it harder than before you was a Christian. Before you were a Christian, you're just dealing with one culture. You don't know anything else. You just thought it was normal to hate certain people based upon the colour of their skin. You thought that was normal. You only had to deal with one culture. And so of course it's easier. When we give our lives to Christ and we come into a new kingdom with a new culture that's asking different things of us, that's where the battle is. It's a clash of cultures. And that's why as Christians, we have to renew our mind on a daily basis. That's why as Christians, we need to belong to a local church. We need to belong to connect groups. Yes, to teach us new things, but as much as anything, to remind us of what we've forgotten. Or to remind us of what we're not doing. Or to keep us sharp and to keep us focused. Because that's where the clash is. If we just think, wow, it's great to be a Christian and never do any more about it, we're going to drift back into the culture that we know so well. In actual fact, it has been proven that all your learning and all your your development takes place from seven and under. And so your likes and dislikes, your prejudice and your racial tensions, etc., 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 come in that period. And you don't even know why you like certain things and hate certain things. It's just the way you are. But when you give your life to Christ, we come into a new context and a new culture. And that's where the battle is. And that's why we need to renew our mind with the Word of God. And we need to renew our mind through going to church regularly. We need to renew our mind with the Word of God. Because God's kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. God's culture is like, unlike any other culture on the face of the planet today. And it's on this basis that Jesus did all his teaching. Jesus taught to create a counter culture. That's why often it is said of Jesus, and you can see this for yourself in Mark chapter 5, 
But this happened on many occasions. In Mark chapter 5, verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said. In other words, Jesus was addressing the culture that people grew up in. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that. That's the culture that you've embraced. It's the culture that you grew up in. But Jesus turns it on its head and says, but I tell you something different. You've heard this. I'm telling you the exact opposite. Love your enemies. What? What is this new teaching? What is this new thought? What is this new culture? Our cultures are established through the way we think and the actions that we adopt. That's how we establish culture. You've heard it said, it's okay to run down your politicians. Jesus said, I'm telling you to pray for your politicians. You may have heard it said, you don't have to go to church all the time. The Bible tells us the opposite. Don't neglect the fellowship of the gathering together of the saints. And so there's this continual battle, this battle, this continual tension between thinking. And the reason Jesus addressed the culture of the day is because the culture of the day was not working. And the reason we're starting this series is because the culture of the day in which we live is not working. I mean, if everything was okay, we wouldn't need to hear what I'm about to say. But let's just look at this culture and this society in which we live today. What we call normal is not working. This is what normal is getting us. In other words, if we don't change, this is the result of us not changing. Poverty, AIDS, depression, suicide, greed, anxiety, STDs, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, rape, murder, addictions. That's what's taking place in ever-increasing measures in our community and society today. These things are not getting less. These things are on the rise. The pornographic industry is far bigger than the music industry and the entertainment industry put together. The pornography industry is much bigger than both of those two entities put together. It's a massive problem with addiction to pornographic material today. And that is not helping or creating for better marriages or better relationships. Why are we addressing these things today? Because normal is not working. Sleep around, everyone's doing it, it's normal. Yeah, but it's not working. As a result of everyone sleeping around, we've got comparisons galore. We've got broken relationships. We've got unwanted pregnancies. We've got AIDS. We've got sexually transmitted diseases. We've got people who have just been feeling like they've been left on the shelf, abused and used. And God comes up with a plan that everyone thumbs and knows that. Just save yourself. When it comes to intimacy and when it comes to sexual intercourse and when it comes to physical intimacy, save yourself till after you're married. Do you know if we did that, you wouldn't have AIDS. 
You wouldn't have the unwanted pregnancies. You'd still have issues and you've got to work through it because you know, marriage causes problems too. I get that. I don't want to be so idealistic. But so much of society's problems can be fixed if we would just embrace God's culture. At the heart of this message, it's not a hellfire and brimstone pointing your finger, you're all a bunch of sinners. That's not the heart of this message. The heart of this message is a God that loves you and wants to help. So please listen to him. And I honestly believe if Jesus was here listening to me, he'd say, listen to Tony. I think Jesus would say he's doing a great job. Maybe I wouldn't do as well as Jesus because he's the old. But I think Jesus would say, listen to him. Because he loves you and he's trying to help you. And he's trying to break down the preconceived ideas that have led society to where it is. Normal is not working. Proverbs 16 verse 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. God's way of doing things is opposite to our way of doing things. If you want to know God's heart on a situation, pretty much look at society and do the opposite. That's pretty much what you've got to do. If you want to know what, 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 what's, what's God saying... I'll tell you what God's saying. Look at society and God's saying pretty much the opposite. Where people are, uh, all this racial uh, infighting going on. Look at that. Look what's being said. God's saying the opposite. Where we're running down our politicians, our kings, our prime ministers and presidents. Look at that. Listen to the words. God's saying the opposite. Young ones, when you're in your schools, universities and all the talk that goes on in and around relationships and sleep around, everyone's doing it. You know what? If you're not doing it, not everyone's doing it. (laughs) Everyone's doing it. Not if I'm not. I remember as a young man being offered drugs at the age of 17. I was so mad because these guys were meant to be my friends and they knew my stance against drugs. I was so ticked off. And they kind of, come on, man, everyone's doing it. I said, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it now. I ain't doing it tomorrow. I ain't ever doing it. And do you know what happened that night? No one did it. We've got to create a counter culture. Where's it going to start? With you having a renewed mind. And bringing the culture of God, the culture of the kingdom, into an ungodly culture. We've got to take our rose-coloured glasses off. Because I think some of us read the Bible as if it's the black and white days, the olden days, the simpleton days. I want to tell you, sin is no more prevalent today than it was 2,000 years ago. It manifests itself differently because of technology, this, that, and the other. But essentially, it's the same thing. And in this culture, where there are people sleeping around, having extramarital affairs, all this going on, Jesus said, stop it. 
Don't ever read the Bible and think, oh, it was all right for Jesus or it was all right for Paul. It was all right for the other authors of the Bible because it was different back then. Yes, it was different, but essentially it was the same because sin is sin. And yet I realise there's an extra pressure on our young people today because of technology and because of the uh, availability of certain things on the internet. I get that. There is, there is an extra pressure at some level. But essentially it's the same drivenness. It's the same desire. And that's where the battle is. Who's going to win the battle over that desire? And so the kingdom of God is back to front when it comes to worldly thinking. It's inside out. It's upside down. Hence why we've called our series Upside Down. In many ways, the Christian life is a paradox. A paradox is a statement that doesn't seem to make sense. But when you understand it, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, a paradox says something that couldn't be said well any other way. G.K. Chesterton said, a paradox is a truth standing on its head to get attention. You imagine I said, we're all standing up. Everyone stand up. And someone like Danny decides to stand on his head. You you, you go, everyone's standing up. What's he doing? That's what Jesus did in his teaching. He flipped truth on its head to be noticed. And he made some, uh, some statements that seem like they're contradicting, but they're not. They were shared in a way to get your attention. And we have to share things in a way to get people's attention. If we don't get people's attention, they're not going to listen. And thank God for King James language that got a certain group of people through a certain period. I just don't think it's going to cut it in 2011 in Australia. It's not going to get people's attention because we don't understand it. And so we've got to get people's attention. And Jesus did that by telling these stories and statements and sayings. He said many things that seem to contradict themselves. And we're going to look at them over the next few weeks. We're going to look at them in the morning and in the evening service. He said things like, first is last. If you want to be first, who wants to be first? Come on, show me your hands. Who wants to be first? You really? I look at you, oh, I'm not, I know where you're going with this. Who wants to be first? Okay, mention it. You're in a race. Whose desire is, oh, I want to be last? No, we want to be first. It's, it's, it's in us. And she said, I'm going to tell you how to be first. Because being first is not a bad desire. I'm going to tell you how to be first. Here's how you be first be last. What? Serious? Who wants to be exalted and honoured and praised? That's not wrong. It's good. I mean, who likes getting beaten up and neglected? No one does. No, we like to be honoured. Well, here's the way to be honoured. Humble yourself. Who wants to be great? Well, you've got to be prepared to be the least. Because least is greatest. And the Bible is full of these paradoxical teachings of Christ. And we want to look at them 
over the next few weeks. Does this make sense? Are you with me? Have I got your attention? Because we've got to catch this this morning. Today, I want to look at first is last. First is last. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. What Jesus was addressing here is the disciples' attitude toward being first. You see, the disciples had it all wrong. They thought being first was all about being seen and being the loudest. And being the most obnoxious and being the quickest and being the best. And so Jesus turns this teaching on its head, turns this thinking on its head and brings a little child into the equation. You see, there's something about human nature that loves to win at all costs. You take the the simplest little exercise that we learn as a kid, colouring in. It's one of the first little exercises we learn as a kid, colouring in. And what do we do with that? We turn it into a colouring in competition. Little kids having fun. We say, oh, let's enter him in a competition and show that my kid's the greatest. What's wrong with just colouring in? And we get so competitive, when no one's looking, we start doing the colouring in for them. So oh, look at my child. Look what they did. This is awesome. Which reflects on me because I'm an awesome parent because my kid can... We, What is that? What is that? I want to tell you, it's the culture in which we live. Win at all costs, kill and be killed. It's the culture we live in. We don't live in a culture, ah, bless him, he's having fun. When do you ever see the Olympics? Let's just give it up for the guy who came last, did a great job, bless him. Ah, bless him. It's kill or be killed. I mean, if you come second, you're a loser. That's the world we live in. I mean, we joke all the time about Port Adelaide and Crows. But you know what? They've both won premierships. Hasn't been recent for either, but they still won. So somewhere in our history, we were the best team for that year. And all of a sudden, you know, it means nothing because the last game you lost. We're sick. We are all sick, including me. I'm sick. This is how sick I am. Every time I get on an aeroplane, I'm the guy that as soon as a bing goes to get your thing off, I stand up, get my bag, and I stand there. I'm going to be first off this plane. I've been sitting there for a long time. I'm getting off this plane. Our last trip to South Africa, just to prove a point, I'm standing there, my bags. I've got the aisle. I've, I, 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 I've got it. I do it. No one can overtake me. <laughs> if you're thinking less of me, I'm so sorry, but God did teach me a lesson this last trip, I'm telling you. And so, it's, you know, I'm like, come on, come on. So, Kathy, you ready? Then we get out the plane, and I, I just, I bolt it. I, I just, I do the fast one. 
And I make it my, I just take in all these people. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> this last time coming back into Australia, we got through customs so quick. I was like the first person in the carousel. I was like, oh, never, never before. This is awesome. This is the day of the Lord. God is good. And I was the first person there, which meant I was the first one to have to stand and wait. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I watched all these people that I overtook grab their bags, and grab their bags, and grab their bags, and grab their bags, and grab their bags. And initially I was angry. Come on! And I felt God speak to me. You're a sick boy. I mean, I've just been blessed to go to another nation. I've just had an incredible time and blessed incredible people. And I'm coming back to see my kids. There's nothing to complain about. I'm getting all agitated. Stupid. Where did that come from? Pete. (laughs) I kid you not. No sooner, no sooner, no sooner had I repented and realized what I thought God was trying to get my attention on. I said, oh, what an idiot. I felt God the Father look at God the Son and go. (laughs) Then my two bags came out. (laughs) You don't have to be in church to hear God. It gets worse. Last night I got a speeding fine. I was in front of all my friends. They were behind me. Got pulled over. Woo, woo. As I'm standing there, vroom, friend number one. Vroom, friend number two. I'm thinking, Lord... Are you just trying to give me illustrations for tomorrow? <laughs> and I thought of the words of Jesus. Those that will be first will be last. You know the story of the tortoise and the hare. Some of us just rush. And God's trying to get our attention to slow down and stop and think what's most important. The disciples had it wrong. But let's leave the disciples out of it for a minute. Let's leave Peter alone and James alone and John alone. Those guys get ridiculed every week in churches all around the world. What about us? And then along with leaving Peter alone and James alone, leave me alone. I've told you a couple of my stories where I've messed up. But where are you chasing to be first What about that that extra promotion you get, that extra job or that extra work you get? Now you're working tired. Yes, you've earned extra money, but you've made more mistakes and the extra money you earned, you've lost because you've got to now spend extra money fixing up your mistakes. We chase our tails all the time. 27, working 24-7. Not even God did that. But if you want to get ahead, get more money. Wall Street, the film back in the 80s. Greed is good. That's not what God says. 
The Bible says the exact opposite. The love of money is the root of all evil. In the film, everyone's into a frenzy. Greed is good. Greed is good. God's going, what? Who are you going to listen to? You know, if I never preached another message and I kept massaging this truth in over and over again, it would be no different to what the advertising agencies are doing to you. How many of you have only ever seen one McDonald's ad? No, they just keep bombarding us and bombarding us. And sometimes we need to bombard ourselves with the word of God in order to get right thinking. Jesus was constantly doing the opposite of what was expected. You see, first is last. It's all about priorities. It's about putting first things first. It's about putting humility before honor. Jesus demonstrated this when he came from heaven to earth. See, before he was a savior of the world, he was a babe in a manger. I think sometimes we forget that. He was a babe in the manger before he was the savior of the world. And Jesus brings this little child into the equation. And I believe God, among other things, was saying, don't forget the little things. It's the little things that lead to big things. It's the little things that lead to great things. Don't forget the little things. Don't forget the unseen things. See, I appreciate the feedback I get week after week because you see me. And that's part of my call and gift. But there's so many people you don't see that make this church what it is. Anything that is great has a lot of unseen to it. A great marriage has a lot of unseen mundane. What will hold a marriage together is not roses so much as I love you and sorry. The little things. You want a great marriage? Do the little things. You want a marriage that will last, do the little things. The Jews wanted and demanded a sign from Jesus. Give us a sign that you're Messiah. And Jesus, you want to see a miracle? Oh, we want to see a miracle. Love your enemies. There's a miracle. First is last is all about putting humility before honor. It's about putting contentment before comparison. The disciples were arguing over who was the greatest. They knew they were great because Jesus chose us out of all the people. I mean, like, you know, 12 people in the whole world. I mean, we're pretty awesome. But who's the most awesome? And then of the 12, three of them, James and John and Peter, were taken to certain places that the other nine weren't. So that must be the most awesome. But who's the most awesome of the three? They were having this debate. Who's the greatest? Enter Jesus bringing a little child into the equation. You want to be great. You want to be first. And as a result of their comparisons, they miss their moment. They miss their moment of just being with Jesus. I mean, these three guys went up a mountain one day with Jesus. He transfigured, which means he went really, really white and really, really bright. And Moses and Elijah appeared. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Who cares who's the best? We saw something. That, that in itself is awesome. They come away from that and go, oh, who's best? Who, who's the greatest? Who's the, great, who's the greatest? And they just missed the moment. We're living in Australia, people. 
We're not under threat of war. It's a beautiful day. It's, it's June and the sun's out. We've got all prepared for winter. We've barraged a little portico and no rain yet. It's almost disappointing, like no rain. There's so much to be thankful for. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Great gain. You know, we grew up in a home on Carroll Drive, number 12, in Parrot Hills. It's not the most elaborate home. It's not the most expensive area. It's almost one of those suburbs where, like, can anything good come from Parrot Hills? My dad's lived there for over 40 years, still there today. But what's taken place in that home has brought him and us a lot of contentment. You know, sometimes more is just more. It's not really the answer. Thirdly, first is more is all about putting others before yourselves. We see that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We see that when Jesus went upon the cross. It's about putting others before yourself. It's about, again, my dad hanging around in a marriage that hasn't been altogether lovely because he had an investment in his kids. I appreciate that. He just made a counterculture decision to hang around when everyone else was running away. See, I don't think signs of wonders is the answer. I don't know that more theology is the answer. I think just a practical demonstration of the Word of God will capture people's attention. With modern day vernacular, dressed in modern day clothing, I think we can win the world. I really do. And fourthly, it's putting God before anything else. It's putting God before anything else. You'll never be at peace until you do this. All of us have a God-shaped hole in us. And you'll never be at peace until you make peace with God. And until you allow him rite of passage in your life. This is where a lot of Christians are so miserable. They give their life to Jesus, but then they do their own thing. So making him Lord every day of your life. Putting him before everything else. Not because he wants to control your life, but because he loves you and wants to help you. Because normal ain't working. You would have nothing or be nothing if it wasn't for God. It kind of reminds me of a joke where a scientist challenged God to a human being making competition. With all of his expertise and technological advancements, he thought, I'm going to challenge God to making my own human being. And so God agreed to the scientist. And at the beginning of this competition... The scientist goes outside, grabs a bucket of dirt, puts it on the table and goes, no, 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 you get your own dirt. (laughs) We would have nothing or be nothing if it wasn't for God. God could say, get your own air. God could say, get your own gravity. What's to stop us just floating off into nothing? Gravity. Have you ever bought your kids' parents French fries from McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, KFC, or wherever? You bought them for your kids. But when you, you're not hungry, you don't want them. You're trying to watch your, your figure. But when you smell them, you think, oh, I wouldn't mind one. And so you 
as a good parent that's already bought the chips for them and paid for them out of your own money, lean over and say, oh, can I have one of your chips? They say, no, they're mine. So are you kidding me? You wouldn't have them if it wasn't for me. All I'm asking for is one. All I'm asking for is 10%. It's my money, God. No, it ain't. See, we blame God for things that we ourselves get annoyed about. Wow. Who's ever done that with the kids? And the kids have been my chips. What are you flipping? Your chips. You who, who sits at home and doesn't do anything. I go out work, get the money, buy your chips, and I can't even have one chip. Are you kidding me? I don't think God's a mean, angry, nasty. I think he's just a just God. So you've got to put God in everything. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For him, so sorry, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. There's nothing more than visible or invisible. There's nothing more. God created the invisible and the visible. What you can see, God created. What you can't see, God created. Right now, they are discovering new life in the sea by the year. New species of fish. In the stars, in the, they're finding new planets, and new this, and new that. Just The stuff we can't see, God created. The stuff we can see, God created. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together for the good. Where's our musicians? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.